0: past Wednesday, NFL quarterback Drew Brees got himself into a little bit of hot water with what he shared online. Uh, He said in a statement uh, shared through social media that he would never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States or our country. Thursday, He issued an apology on Instagram that, depending on where you land on that particular issue of kneeling when the national anthem is played, drew a bit of ire from all sides, from all parties. There was instant backlash on social media from famous people, political people, other athletes who are just as accomplished as Drew Brees. Uh, both in and out of football. Even his own teammates challenged him. Drew apologized the next day. His wife apologized just this morning, and uh, I don't have time to read what she wrote to you, but it is worth looking up and seeing what she said because it is one of the best ways to actually apologize. You know how sometimes there's a non-apology, a sorry, not sorry, Uh, his wife, uh, Brittany, penned just a beautiful apology that kind of explained what they didn't see when they posted that comment. It was well thought out, well written, and really communicated well. But the most interesting comment I saw out of all the politicians uh, from all of the sports athletes and from people that I follow on social media and what the news reported back to me was from coach Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is a Christian. He's a believer. He's a Super Bowl winning NFL football coach. He's now retired. He's an NFL broadcaster. But this is what he said in response to what Drew Brees said before he issued the apology. He said this, Tony Dungy said this in an interview. It may not have been exactly the way he wanted to express it, but he can't be afraid to say it. And we can't be afraid to say, okay, Drew, I don't agree with you, but let's talk about this and let's sit down and talk about it. And I love what Coach Dungy says for this particular reason. He identified the issue of what we post when we post and what we say when we post. The fear of speaking your mind so that people accept what you're saying. I felt that. I felt that about... How do I post things that I know people in the church are going to disagree with? People that follow me are going to disagree with. How am I going to have a conversation online with them? It's hard enough to have a conversation online to keep it as a conversation more than as a soapbox for just my opinions and then just blocking people uh, away from following me. So Tony Dungy identifies the issue. How do we speak our mind clearly and how do we hear what other people are saying With empathy when we don't agree with what they're saying. You see, the issue is this. The fear of how people will respond to what we say and do is part of being human. We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. But we know that if we share some of our deepest opinions, our deepest thinking, our deepest questions, people are going to challenge that. People are going to counter that. People are going to say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's exhausting. And it feels like when we share those things that people are attacking up, attacking us. Do you want to know the one main reason why people refuse to join into small groups and community in their church? in life groups, in small groups, we call them growth groups, is because they're afraid of what other people will think when they share what's on their heart and mind. So it doesn't just exist out there in the church, outside of the church. It exists here in the church because we all want to be liked and loved. We all, none of us want to do things or say things that cause us to be unliked or unloved but you know this. You know that eventually you're going to say something that someone's going to disagree with, that someone's going to challenge, that uh, someone else is going to stand up to. And when we start thinking about what are they going to say in response, there is an incredible temptation to just simply be authentic, that we shouldn't create those kinds of waves, that we shouldn't have those kinds of conversations. And we... We couch it, we sandwich it around the, why can't we just be unified? Why can't we just get along? And unfortunately, unity does not mean that we push away the big issues and we never talk about them so that we always just get along. There has to be a better way. There has to be something better. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we find that. You see, I think... In my opinion, one of the biggest reasons why Christians find it hard to wrestle through this issue and to obey God in the moment when he's asking them to sacrifice for his good is because of the fear that we have of what other people will think. The fear of how other people think about what we're doing for God paralyzes us from doing sacrificial good for God it stops us it prevents us and so this fear keeps us doing the small good that anyone can do and everyone thinks that's fine and we think that's enough like we've checked off a list from a checklist the problem is the bible is very clear that we are to take up our cross and follow jesus in his way of living. We are to lead the way in doing good. We are to love our enemies, not cut them out of our social media feed. We are to do good even when people have not done good to us. Regardless of how we treat them or how they treat us, we are to bless them. So the question is, how do we overcome this fear? What do we do? And we find the answer in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, because it's there we find why we shouldn't be afraid of how people will respond when we want to do good for God. Take a look at these verses together with me. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, worship Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What Peter is talking to us here about and talking to his readers and to us in general is that the thing that we're looking for is a reward. We're looking for people to like us and accept us. And what he's saying is, That when you do good for God, even when other people say, that's no good, we challenge that, we don't think that's right. It's interesting that what he says is, you receive a blessing from God. You receive a reward. He says, uh, if you suffer for what is right, in verse 14, you are blessed. And so, uh, one of the rewards from God is simply this. By prioritizing what he thinks of what we're doing, we minimize, eliminate the risk and the fear of what we think other people will think of what we're doing. And so he gives us these instructions. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Now, let's be clear on what that means. Worship Christ as Lord is not a concept that we really accept well here in our culture today, in the Western world, in the United States in particular, where we don't want anyone having authority over us. We are very anti-authority. But to have someone as Lord would to be, would to call them, they're our master, that it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It only matters what the master's opinion is. And so I'm going to do what the master says. I represent the master in all things. I represent his thoughts. I represent her thoughts. That's what that means. And he says, you can actually think that Jesus is your master, that Christ is your master, and you can think you're worshiping when you're not. After all, Paul would say in Romans 12 that uh, real worship is to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And God's going to look after you if you do that. So worship Christ as the Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope, be ready to explain it and do it respectfully. In other words, be a pastoral preacher. You don't need to have an audience. You don't need to have a camera. You don't need to stand up on a pulpit and post things, but you do need to represent Christ in all things, like. Masters and servants would do. The servants would represent the masters in all things. And they would reflect the master in all things. So you live by that hope. And then when people ask you, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you saying that this is good? When we disagree, you can say, this is why. And to do so gently and respectfully. Be a pastorally-minded preacher. Keep your conscience clear before God. And when you keep your conscience clear before God, what he's saying is, it's a little trick I've learned. This is what Peter is saying. You and I can use a little trick that says, we want to please people. We want people to like us. We want people to accept us. We want people to approve of what we're doing. So make sure that the first person who approves of what we're doing is God. Then the fear of what other people think of what we're doing is lessened and minimized. Now, it's difficult because, well all of us want other people to accept us. We all have an innate fear of what people think, right? You you have an idea, but you maybe have felt in the past that you were scared to share that idea because you were afraid that people would think it was stupid. You want to take a chance, but you're scared of what people will think if you fail. You have an idea of something you want to try, but you're scared how people will challenge you and say, well, what is in your past That would say, you're now the right person to accomplish this. What's to make you think that you're gonna have that kind of success? Maybe you wanna try something new, but you're afraid that people will think you're just plain weird. But Peter says, who will give a better reward? Who will give a better reward? Do you think people will give you a better reward? People will give you better satisfaction? Or will God? So prioritize pleasing God, and the fear of what other people will think becomes minimized. Who do you think gives a better reward, God or people? When I was growing up, there were, uh, at Christmas time, there were always a number of different gifts and wrapped items under the tree, and I always knew to look for the ones from my mom. Because my mom always got me the best gifts. Why? Because she was closest to me. She was closest to me and my sister. It's not that my my grandma and my grandpa gave gave us gifts uh, and my dad never, you know, who uh, most of you know that my mom and dad were divorced when I was young. And so it's not that we uh, didn't enjoy those gifts as well. But I always knew my mom's gifts were the best gifts because she knew me the best. She was closest to me. And God is the same way. God is the one who gives us the best gifts. God is the one who gives us the best rewards. So we don't have to fear when we're looking to please God first. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to earn God's respect and earn God's love. We just celebrated in communion that Jesus died for us before we were uh before we had earned anything earned God's favor as a matter of fact before we were before, while we were still sinners Christ died for us so you don't have to earn his respect and love that is not what i'm saying but we can please God as we've talked about for the last couple of weeks and we can please God with our behavior that's called practical righteousness and so Who do you want to please more with your behavior? Now, I know that I said you don't have to earn God's love and respect, but you still have to represent him. And what that means is you don't get to disrespect other people for whom Christ died. You don't get to say, Christian, you and I don't get to say, to hell with your feelings. A Christian that does not empathetically listen to the feelings and experiences of others will cut themselves off from leading people to Jesus. Let me say that again. A Christian that does not empathetically listen to the feelings and experiences of others will cut themselves off from leading other people to Jesus. Remember, we don't want people to make us feel bad. However, there is a general principle in sinful society, in general, that tends to marginalize success. When people are successful, they say, this is the way that I've become successful. And we like that. We like that people became successful, unless they challenge how we should also become successful in that same way. If they say, this is what I did, and you're doing it wrong, who? it might be cause, require people to admit their own flaws, to admit that their own habits have holes in them. And how dare you point out my flaws? That's why people react to what it is that they're doing. They don't want to change. They want you to change so they don't have to. But in that, even as they try to drag down pull you back from the kind of good that only Christians can do where they sacrifice their lives because God asked them to, just so that they don't feel bad. We don't get to disrespect them along the way because these are the people for whom God also loves and also died for so that they can come to know him too. A reward from God removes our fears of what other people which then leads us to the question, so what is that reward from God like? Why is it better than what other people could give us? And we see that as Peter continues in verse chap- uh, chapter 3, verse 18. He says this. For Christ also suffered. He suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, the ark, Only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience before God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. A reward from God is so good because it's eternal. It lasts forever. What Peter describes here is that Noah built a boat that could have held way more people, right? And what Peter seems to be hinting here is that it's a real shame that only eight people got on board. It only saved eight. But the ark itself is a picture of what it means to trust God, because if you remember way back to our series in Genesis that we did, or if you go look at the account of the story of the boat the ark that Noah built it has no rudder it has no way to steer or control which way it goes it trusts that God is going to move you where you want to go which is a symbol of the christian life he says that it's that picture of trusting God in the day of calamity that would uh, that rescue would eventually be realized because it symbolized what Jesus would actually go through in his death and resurrection and Jesus went on to become the witness to all the fallen angels that obeying God is always rewarded forever, and it lasts forever. See, it takes faith to get in the boat, which not many people did, and it takes faith to trust in the death and resurrection for salvation, doesn't it? Because nobody likes a God who dies, Because it sounds like a God who loses, and yet it's in that death, it's in Jesus saying, God, if that's the plan, if that's the way, I'm in. Not my will, but your will be done. And after three days, God raised him from the dead and gave him all authority. And what Peter is saying is that what God did for Jesus, he will do for you. We see that the symbol of baptism is death to our old way of living. Kind of pointing back to what we said earlier, that Worry about what God thinks of what you're doing. That's a trick that you can use. And then the fear of what other people think of what you're doing is minimized. It's lessened. And his point is this. God always honors those who honor him. Always. I mean, look at Christ. He's now in heaven. He's seated at God's right hand. He has all authority, all power. Everything bows the knee to him, including all those spirits who didn't think that following God's rules was all that important and who fell. Those angels that we read about in Genesis chapter 6, and I'll let you go and look them up this afternoon, those angels that that fell from heaven. Now they see what Noah knew and what Jesus proved is that God honors those who honor him. I mean, nobody thought that Jesus' ministry was successful when he died. Even his closest friends ran and hid. And God proved his ministry was successful when he raised him from the dead and honored him with all authority. Even if it takes some time, it is worth honoring God and sacrificing for him and worrying concerning yourself with what he thinks about what you're doing. I remember a number of years ago, uh, our family went to Cooperstown to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And as we walked around, there were a number of families there as well. Uh, A lot of grandpas, a lot of great grandpas with little boys, little girls walking around. And the grandpas and grandmas were telling stories of just a name etched on a wall on a plaque. They didn't get their own cubicle. They didn't get their own space. But just names etched on plaques for, for people who were in the Hall of Fame. And no matter what happens, The Hall of Fame will never shrink for baseball. It will always be expanded. It will always be built and expanded, and more people will be added. In other words, that's the closest thing that we can come to as we understand that when God gives a reward, it's going to last forever. It's going to be bigger than we could possibly imagine. We know that from the stories of the Ten Talents. Remember Uh, the different servants were given different varying bags of gold, and the way they spent that money resulted in them getting cities. The way that we spend our money can result in incredible authority for all eternity. It is amazing how small the sacrifice sometimes God asks us to make, even though we think it's a huge one at this time, and it turns out to be something even more amazing. In eternity. A reward from God lasts forever. Now, we often worry about God, will you bless us? Bless me, bless me, bless me. And are the blessings of life a good thing? Absolutely. I'm not wishing anyone, the Bible's not wishing anyone poor health, uh, poor relationships, and those kinds of things. So it's not wishing suffering. But when the suffering comes from doing good for God, God always honors it. A reward from God lasts forever. Honor from God is forever. The problem is we don't have a really good concept of forever and eternal. We don't see the worth because we're we're trapped in time and we just want this moment to be better. But we know when we think of it abstractly and it just needs to move from our heads to our hearts that what happens to us in the moment when we think about how that can impact eternity, it makes the pain now worth the gain forever. A reward from God is forever. And so what Peter is saying to us over all these verses is simply this, doing good for God is good for you. That's God's guarantee. Doing good for God is always good for you. That's God's guarantee. Some application questions for you as we wrap up this morning. When was a time when you were concerned about how someone would think about what you were doing? How should we respond to others when they disagree with the good we are trying to do for God? Share a good thing that you would love to do Without worrying about the response of others, and pray for these things. Don't fear doing good for God. Don't fear what others think. Be concerned with what God thinks. Are we representing Him? well? Are we representing the gospel well? We already know that Jesus, if he suffered, as we take up our cross and follow him, then we also will suffer. But never think that it is not worth it. It is painful in the moment, but it will be worth it because God honors those who honor him. He always rewards people. The fear of what other people think is lessened, and we gain a reward that lasts and lasts and lasts for all eternity. Doing good for God is always good for you. That's God's guarantee. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you help us to do the good that you've called us to? Help us not to assume that we're always doing the right thing, For you, but to always be seeking to do the things that please you, even when it's hard, even when it's costly. Would you help us to do these things? Lord, we need your spirit for this. We need your church to help us with this. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us empathetic listening skills that allow us to hear what it is that you are saying and you want to accomplish. And no matter what it costs, may you help us to be part of the good that you want to accomplish in these days. Lord, as we look at what is happening in our world today, you are calling each and every one of us to be part of a solution to what is happening Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that, regardless of what it costs, that you would give us wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. And would you remind us that as we please you, as we honor you, you will honor us. Would you remind us, God, that doing good for you is always, always, always worth it. And that is your guarantee. We pray all of these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.